You're listening to Music You're Missing. I'm Brendan Gennetti, and today we're talking to Baby Jake. Baby Jake began releasing his music to SoundCloud, and his tracks quickly caught on for their infectious melodies and honest lyrics. In 2019, he released his debut single, Cigarettes and Patios, under Republic Records. This track kicked off his career on a high note, and it went on to be streamed over 150 million times. Baby Jake quickly proved that while he can create pop perfection, his talents shine brightest with live performances. After going independent in 2023, Baby Jake released two really well-done albums. The first, Aren't We Ever Gonna Be More Than Friends, is a true rock and roll project down to its sound, visuals, and performances, and that was released in July of 2023. I remember when I first heard the track, We Got to Get Together to Be Free, I honestly assumed it was a cover because it just has such an iconic classic sound. And then in December of 2023, Baby Jake released another project, this time a stripped-down folk album called Rude, Crude, and Uncouth. With his most vulnerable lyrics to date, it honestly is clear that he just keeps getting better and better as time goes on. I'm super excited to have him call in to talk about the projects, as well as his first ever North American headlining tour, which he wrapped up this fall. But before I get Baby Jake on the line, you've listened to podcasts before, you know the drill. If this is your first time listening to music you're missing, hey, my name is Brendan. I've worked in music for about eight years now, and I have a master's degree in music business. Throughout my career, I always felt the most connected with artists who weren't receiving the type of media attention that I felt they deserved. So I created the Music You're Missing podcast to change that. Every artist that comes on the show has their music featured on the official Music You're Missing Spotify playlist, and if you head there now, you can find my favorite Baby Jake tracks streaming on the collection. While you're checking things out, it'd be great if you could rate the Music You're Missing podcast five stars wherever you're listening. I know it's corny to ask, but listen, the more five-star ratings we get, the higher likelihood our episodes get playlisted, which means even more exposure for the amazing artists we feature. And finally, to see video content from the show and to keep up with Music You're Missing's happenings, including giveaways, concerts, and new episodes, follow Music You're Missing on TikTok and Instagram. Okay, I promise that is all for me. Without further ado, I'm so excited to bring you baby jake on the music you're missing podcast where are you guys based well we're in downtown boston oh so you got did you get hit hard i mean we got a foot of snow in nashville which is crazy yeah i saw that on your story i honestly didn't realize like tennessee did that Dude, it's <laughs> like, like a less. foot it's not it's i'm not even kidding it's like probably anywhere i mean maybe not a foot but it's like nine inches it's like eight or nine inches and it was like fucking and they don't have plows yeah, like these yeah. motherfuckers don't have plows for some reason, and they don't understand the concept of salting the road. So, like, yesterday you're driving, like, I got a four wheel drive truck, so I'm straight. But like yesterday, I was driving on the highway to go to the gym, which I was surprised was still open. But uh, to go to the gym, and like, dude, the roads are just like it's just like a free for all. Oh yeah. Like, Fuckers are driving like middle <laughs> of three lanes and like swerving and shit. There's cars like that just like crashed in like another lane that are like, I don't know why they don't plow the roads. I would assume today they're probably going to do some because it's like pretty blue skies, but yeah. And no, I felt like I was in like a viral video on my way here. I just was sliding everywhere. I was just watching people slide. It was, uh, it was destined to be bad. Yeah. You would think Nashville would like kind of get it sorted, but I, I don't know. I guess they just, I guess it's just too much, probably too much financial like burden on the city to get all this snow equipment for one day. You know yeah. what I'm saying? They like get one day of snow and they buy all these plows and like hire all these people. And then these people work for like one fucking day in the winter. So <laughs> they'll just I take the casualties. I guess I get it. But like my buddy, uh, he just moved here. He went to Berkeley and shit. So he, um, he's, he lived in Boston. Actually he lived in, he, he like commuted there. But anyways, um, he was telling me, he's like, man, if I would have known how much money I would have made with a snowplow, I would have just brought my plow to fucking Nashville. I was like, yeah, you should have, man. You would have made like a t- in this one day, you would have made your whole year of rent. <laughs> you know? No, for sure. Uh, I mean, you're a well-traveled dude. You've you've kind of played throughout all of the U.S. What uh, what brought you to Nashville? Why did you settle down there? Uh, I couldn't afford L.A. Yep. <laughs> To, to really like live how I wanted to live in LA and start to um, like grow my finances how I want to and uh, you know think of assets and think of growing assets and think of things kind of you know growing my finances outside of music it's kind of impossible in LA unless you have 
unless you're really fucking big. Yeah. And, you know, I, in the grand scheme of it, I'm still a baby artist. So I think for me, the move was to come to Nashville because it's realistic to buy something. It's realistic to, you know, maybe buy multiple things, maybe get rental properties, maybe do all this other shit that uh, can help grow your finances. Yeah. Uh, also, sick of covid in la that was like a terrible time because i hate to say it but like they just went so over the top and like now to see all this shit coming out where like i, I don't know your stance on it or, or many people's stance on it but like so i just had to get the fuck out of there and at the time i was dating this girl and she wanted to get out of there too so we kind of we were considering like a ton of places i remember we considered austin because her family lived in dallas and we considered like New York, we considered Miami, we considered a couple of different places. And then my friend was like, why don't you guys go to Nashville? And I was like, wow, I never really thought about that. I've heard some good things. And we visited and I was like, oh yeah, this is, in my opinion, this is the place to be right now because it's no longer just honky tonk mill, you know, like yeah. there's this massive alternative scene growing here. There's a massive pop scene growing here. And Really, you're going to see this city in the next five to 10 years, I think, just explode. I mean, it's already exploding, but it's still like rooted, at least in entertainment by country. I mm. think that will change very quickly. I mean, you got you got like, you know, Dan Auerbach with uh, Easy Eye Sounds and actually one of my I'm going to be careful with what I say here, but one of my buddies just signed to him and uh, they just did, you know, a whole week of recording and an album. And I heard that and I was like, whoa, this shit is fucking cool like this is awesome music and you know he's out of out of canada and he's coming to nashville on visit and i know that um i know that the coin guys are here and other people are here and i just think that this scene here as long as people stay will continue to grow and adapt into what will end up becoming i think a mini los angeles and a mini new york you know yeah. and it already is but like it's still lacking a little bit of the the diversity in the people and the culture. Yeah. And I think it's just lacking the amount of people to, to change certain things in the city. But over time, I think in the next five, 10 years, like I said, it's just going to become this huge Mecca because it's affordable. Mm -hmm. Like artists will always end up going where it's affordable, you know, like that's because most of them don't make it. That's yeah. the sad truth. Most artists, most creatives don't make it. So I think, you know, LA in the 60s and the 70s was not crazy. It was not crazy overpriced. People were going there because they had a dream and out West was beautiful and because it wasn't inflated yet. It was beginning to get inflated, but the culture of, of Hollywood had already started and it still wasn't crazy pricey. And then when you get into the 90s and 2000s, obviously that starts changing. But uh, I think artists like when Denver... You know, Denver had a huge movement about 10 years ago. I had a couple of buddies that were living in Denver and they said it was a huge artist movement and then they legalized cannabis. And that drove the price of everything through the roof. Yeah. So the artists left because they couldn't afford it. So I think Nashville right now is obviously getting more expensive, but like, dude, you could come here with four friends and probably get a house where you pay like $600 a month in rent. Dude, you know? that's wild. I was just paying... $1,900 a month for a shared apartment with someone else. And it was a shithole. I but, mean, that's, 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 that's life now. now <laughs> yeah. I mean, every, but, I mean, everything's expensive, but like, what were you saying? What you were saying about Nashville, obviously with like this kind of new influx comes room for new opportunity. Um, and you got to kind of be financial wise, no matter what your finances are, even if like you're raking in it. I'm kind of curious though. Cause you, you had a, uh, your breakout, I guess, early, early on, were you always financially savvy? I spent, all, I spent all my money. Really? I spent all my money. I spent probably, I remember my accountant calling me the first month after I got the check and he's like, you spent $35,000. And I was like, I was like, okay. He's like, you, you got to stop doing this. You can't spend $35,000 a month. Cause I was like, dude, I, I didn't have any money. I came from Fort Myers, Florida and my family wasn't broke or anything. Like we were, yeah. you know, I, honestly, probably above middle-class by the time I graduated high school and got out of there. When I was like younger, we were like middle-class and then we became like, you know, above middle-class, maybe even like in the, in the wealthier area of, of Fort Myers. And, um, 
but like I didn't have any money, <laughs> you know, me personally. And when I like dropped out and got the check and shit, like I remember borrowing $20 from my, one of my best friends, like three days before I signed to Scooter Braun Republic. So immediately I just spent all my money. And then when I ran out of my first, I think it was $90,000 advance was my first advance. I gave 10, 10 grand went to my production deal that I was signed into, which was a whole nother fucking mess of things. But, yeah. and then I signed my publishing deal. And my publishing deal was with Pulse. I'm still signed to them. And they gave me an even bigger amount of money because at that time, there was a lot of hype behind me. And I spent that shit. I spent that shit in like a year. I think I was like, dude, I spent like probably 300K in two years. Damn. I mean, I appreciate the honesty though because you're definitely, that's not like a unique story. That's, so many people have that story where they they come from not having access to those funds, and then all of a sudden they're getting either grants or they're getting uh, basically loans. Um, yeah, they're loans, and it took me that entire process to learn all that shit. I don't regret anything because I had some of the most fun of my life. You yeah. know, memories I'll never forget. But like, if I could go back, obviously I'd do it differently. But that doesn't. I don't regret it, and mm. uh, I learned so much from getting. But going through that process, coming out of that process, you know, uh, getting out of the deal, being independent again, all of it was like, you know, the honest truth is most artists don't make it. They don't get out of that. They just get shelved or, you know, they waste all their money and then they're having an issue with the label and they, they don't keep fighting and they don't have a lawyer that excuse me, gets involved and gets them out of the deal. I was lucky to, to, you know, get a new lawyer who really helped me navigate getting out of that deal. Who's a, who's a great guy and actually a great guy and girl combo of them. And, um, and yeah, a lot of artists don't make it, you know? And I think it, I understand why, because like for two years, all I wanted to do was fucking give up, you know, like a year and a half, two years. All I wanted to do is just fucking sleep, you know, just like forget about everything that was going on. But if I did that, I was never going to get out of it. Yeah. I was never going to be be an artist is the truth ever again because you're locked up in this shit and it's not i at that time two years ago if you would have asked me i would have blamed it on everybody else but now i just blame it on myself because it's a business you have to understand how it operates and if you don't learn how it operates and you don't understand how it's going and you don't respect other people and you you don't realize you know kind of how much is at stake when you're signed into a 360 master recording deal then it's your own fault you know, and I don't, I don't really like back then I would have said fuck labels and fuck this and fuck that. But like, I got a good relationship with Scooter still to this day and Republic. I, I don't know if I have a good relationship or not, but I wish I would have taken that approach a little differently too, because it's business. Yeah. You get emotionally. And that's the problem is a lot of people in, in the creative space, they don't know how to separate emotions and business and they're very, very different. And once you, once you, if you're able, God willing, universe willing to go through it and, and, you know, take a pivot and then be arguing and get, get out of your deal and get out of it. If you ever go through that and you end up on the other side, you're so much more knowledgeable mm -hmm. because I just understand it now. I just understand it. And I'm not the only person that I could ever be upset at if I am upset and I'm not. But if I was upset, and I'm sure I have been before, is myself, you know? So I think a lot of artists, I've seen, I've had friends of mine that get in this situation and that's it. That's the end. Yeah. You know, they, they get locked into something and they owe a lot of money and they don't have a lawyer who's willing to negotiate to get out of them and they don't know how to approach it. And they're not, they're not, you know, obviously they're, I don't think anybody should be really negotiating your own contract. You should have a lawyer because they're, they're pages and pages and pages thick. So I, I feel for those people. Cause I know how easy it is in that moment to just be like, man, fuck it. You know, man, fuck this. Like, I just want to give up. I just want to, I want to, you know, like you can always start another project or something, but even then technically if they wanted to, they still own your name and likeness. So it's yeah. like, if they really wanted to, if you, if you, baby Jake, Started another pro like I'm starting a side project, a dance project. It's called Split Dice. That's why it's on my Instagram and shit. It's taking me a while to get it together, but it's gonna be like a dance project. I love house music and I want to put a separate dance thing out just for fun, just for me. Yeah. But let's say back then I wanted to like, you know, I said, fuck this, I'm gonna ditch baby Jake, I'm gonna be split dice or whoever, or Jake Jake or whatever. 
technically if Jake Jake or Split Dice or whoever, whatever name it would be, blew up back then and I wasn't out of the deal, they could have came and claimed those masters. Yeah. They would have owned my recordings because they own your voice. So it's a tricky, it's a complex situation, you know, and, and I, I back, I'd say even up to like a year ago, I probably wouldn't have been comfortable to, you know, explain all of it and explain wasting all the money and all this shit. The only reason that I'm comfortable doing it now is because I hope it prevents other people from doing it. You yeah. know, that I'm not doing it to brag. I, I'm not bragging about this shit at all. Like, you know, I live in Nashville and I, I'm lucky enough to to own a house now, but like, Dude, I, I live paycheck to paycheck. You know what I'm saying? Like, I am not fooling. I am not fucking raking in dough. Like, I'm trying to move mountains with with you know the 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 little the little help that I have right at the time. And I'm not again. I don't mean that disrespectfully to my team. I'm just saying you know I'm a small team and yeah and independent again. So like. Really, right now, I'm just relying on my own effort and my team, my small team's effort to just like move shit, you know. And it, it's it's uh it's a very humbling experience to go through all that and like you know be at the top. I was at the top of the top of the top of the pyramid of like who you can be with, you know. Like I was signed to Marty Diamond at Paradigm and Sarah Ballwinkle, who was my agent, who were doing Billie Eilish at the time at her peak. I was signed to Scooter on management and label with Republic with fucking Monty and Avery Lippman on text. Like, you know, I I was at the tippy top of the pyramid and to be there and being told, you know, all this shit that's going to happen. And again, I'm not blaming anybody. I'm just saying to be in this mindset where you're like, oh, I'm untouchable. Then to get out of that, to fight to get out of that and then be very touchable again very you know very grounded and now i, I i'm very thankful man yeah. i'm very thankful humbling experience and it you you know the hardest thing i ever had to do was like i pretty much fired my entire team you know i fired my well i didn't fire my manager me and scooter split because i was splitting off the deal and he said you know it was a very honest conversation he was basically just like i don't deal in in uh, alternative music I don't know what to do with this stuff. I'm a pop guy. I love you. I wish you the best, but I don't think this is going to work, you know, and that we kind of both agreed. And at that time I was already kind of wanted to be out of it too. So besides management, but I fired my lawyer, got a new lawyer, fired my accountant, got a new accountant, fired my agent, got a new agent, like literally cleared house. And the hardest part of all that was having to sit there and be like, I'm broke. I don't own my rights. I have music I'm sitting on that I can't release because if I release it, it's going to tank because they're not going to put any marketing dollars in it. Yeah. And we're not going to make any money off of it because I'm not going to own it. And I'm not touring. I'm told I, I can't tour. At that time, I was being told, uh, you don't, you, you can't tour. There's, you know, you don't have a big enough fan base, whatever the fuck it was. I don't remember. So the hardest part was having the humility to accept all these things and say them. And then once you do that, it kind of grows you as a person and as an artist because now I don't really like, I'm not scared of saying shit. I'm just yeah. like what it is. And, you know, I'm very thankful to be in a position where I can still do music for a living and be on the other end of it. And I'm not saying fuck labels. I'm not saying fuck Scooter Braun. I'm not saying fuck anybody. I think that I'm very thankful for the experience and uh, luckily I've been able to get out of that and release new music and the new music has been going great. You know, I'm not busting any fucking charts open, but like my fans are reacting well. I went on a tour, the tour did well, Yeah. you know, it's just amazing to be able to, to do this at all. And I'm very thankful that I even have a base that Republican scooter was able to help me build, you know, in the beginning. So, uh, yeah, I'm not uh, a year ago. I would have been embarrassed, but now I'm not embarrassed. I'll, I'll tell, I'll tell you all my, uh, my penny pension pockets and stuff, you know? <laughs> no, I mean, I honestly, I, I really respect that. There was a lot of what you said that I feel like so many people believe in, but are, are too scared to say, especially really understanding that you're a creative, but at the end of the day, it's a business and you can be the fucking most talented person on planet earth. But if you're not making money, then <laughs> there's not a lot to be done with you. And I think your road to humility was really interesting to hear about because then that's when you can actually start releasing stuff again, which you yes. have. And 2023 was a huge year for you. And just as a fan, it was really, really cool to, to watch. Um, because, I'm a fan, but I also work in music. So to hear someone that you really like is no longer with 
you know, the things that really got them to the top, how are they going to take that? Like he could flop, but then you released such an incredible project. Aren't we ever going to be more than friends? It is full blown rock and roll from the sound to the way you recorded it, to the branding, the style. I remember the first time I heard the lead single, I, I literally thought it was a cover because it was just like so iconic and classic sounding. And I'm just kind of curious, like, did you know that that sound was always in you and that's what you wanted to release? I finished an album in 2022. It might, fuck, it might have even been, lost my toothpick, might have even been 2021. Uh, when I released, yeah, 2021 was, was when I released uh, The Sun Wakes Up Earlier Now, which I thought was a great fucking album and got slept on because I was in disputes with the label mm-hmm. and nobody wanted to market it. You know, we shot some videos and like we, we put a little budget aside and we did this and they pitched it for playlisting and it got a couple playlists, but like nobody believed in it because everybody knew that me and Republic were in the down and outs and we were cutting it. By that time, it took another year and a half to really cut it. But by that time, we knew we were in the down and out. So I was, like I said, very upset at the way, you know, that things were going. And I was blaming everybody else besides myself, which is obviously, the, you know, the route that usually happens. Yeah. So I'm blaming everybody. I'm being stubborn. I'm blaming everybody but myself. So I swing. In my view, I went like this. I, in the beginning of my career, I was on the left side of the pendulum. I'm just making music. I want something to hit. I'm just trying to do music for a living. I didn't think about who I was, what I wanted, anything. Then I swing a little bit to the middle. The middle's like, okay, I'm reaching like when I did uh, Head in the Clouds, Confidant, when I did Don't Give Me Problems, Give Me Wine. That's like the middle. And that honestly is kind of, I'm going a little more live than that. But like the new shit that I'm working on now for 2024, I'm creating an album. It's going to be called uh, Beautiful Blue Collar Boy. And... That's the reason it's called that is because that's who I am. At the end of the day, I'm just this fucking kid from Fort Myers, Florida, who like I like to wear fucking, you know, bell bottoms and some boots and like some cut off 70s wear. And sometimes I like to wear my fucking Tim's with some baggy jeans with some fucking leather, uh, a nice leather jacket and shit. Like I just la- I'm a fucking guy like, you know, I did the butcher block, you know, countertops in my house. Me and my friends cut it ourselves and I painted the fucking floors and I painted the whole house like I'm just a fucking average-ass Joe. Really, yeah. intrinsically, that's who I am. I like to be in physical fit shape. I like to work out. I'm like a guy's guy. No, do I watch fucking NFL every Monday, Thursday, and, and Sunday? No, I don't because I'm too fucking busy. But if I was a normal fucking guy working a normal job, I probably would. Like, I'm that type of guy, you know? I'm just trying to live the healthiest life that way, and I don't really drink anymore, and I eat healthy, and like I said, I'm working on my physical fitness. But in general... Like, I'm this fucking regular ass Joe. So the reason I want to name it that is uh, that I'm sorry. The reason uh, that I'm naming it that is because that's truly who I am. But in 2020, 2020, I think it was when Don't Give Me Problems came out, I was swinging to the middle. And like, I was still a little bit at pop, Jake, but I started to introduce alternative. I had anywhere. I had bread and butter. I had these songs, which honestly are more similar, give or take to the shit I'm making now mm-hmm. because I've, 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 I've stopped genreing myself in general. So then I swung all the way and I, the pendulum swung all the way to the right. And that's because at that time I said, man, fuck this, fuck the industry, fuck this pop production shit, fuck how this is going, fuck how that's going. And I went like, because I was learning, I was young. You know what I'm saying? I was 24. I'm about to turn 27 in March. I was like probably 23 or 24 at the time. I was still learning like, you know, even how to like now I'm producing a lot of my own shit. I was, I was learning like what it meant to do live music. And to me, live music was old music. Yeah. I didn't know there was like, you know, I I hadn't like dove into Radiohead. I hadn't dove into Blur. I hadn't dove into, you know, Bush. I hadn't dove into these nineties and even Green Day and, and, you know, all these two thousands 90s and 2000s rock i hadn't dove into it and i hadn't dove into parcels and i hadn't dove into you know wilco and all these fucking people you know and i didn't know about them so to me the only live music that i really heard was like stones ccr tom petty you know all these people so i swung it so hard 
that really at that time I was in a rebel phase. That was my version of rebel was like, man, fuck this. I'm growing my hair out. I'm getting a shag. I'm wearing 70s shit. I'm wearing blouses. I'm wearing makeup. I'm wearing bell bottoms, wearing boots. Like, fuck all this shit. I'm going to dress as a woman if I want to. Like, I was just rebelling against everything that was going on with me. I made an album in 2021 or 2022. It was either end of 2021 or beginning of 2022. We were already probably working on it in 2020. The same guy who produced like six or seven tracks on The Sun Wakes Up Earlier Now, which are totally different sounding. Mm-hmm. Danny Scheiman is his name. Is his name. He's very talented. He's a little bit older. I have no doubt in my mind that in, in five or ten years, this guy's going to be looked at like a fucking Rick Rubin or a Jimmy Iovine. Like he's, he's a killer producer, killer instrumentalist, talented at everything. And we made this whole project. And we, we got a ton of awesome players and a ton of, you know, an awesome mixer and an awesome mastering guy. And we made these songs and I wrote these songs with him and it took us about a year to complete. And it was just like me in that exact phase. Yeah. And this was actually before, aren't we ever going to be more than friends? The reason I haven't dropped this yet is because these songs are essentially tied up with money. Right. I have to I have to pay Danny. I got to pay the the engineer. I got to pay all the produce. I mean, all the um, the players. I got to pay the mastering guy like give or take. I need X amount of money to make it happen. The reason is because at this time I still wasn't split from Republic and Republic handles all that shit. Whenever you're signed to a label, they're the ones covering the bill. Obviously, you have to recoup it. Yeah. But cover the upfront bill. So during that time when we recorded this. Everybody was on the the assumption that it was going to come out under Republic. So nobody got paid and they're still they still haven't been paid and w- now I've had it for 2 years. This was one or two on the side. This was the pivotal moment when I like made the change to want to do rock music. Now I feel like like I said that pendulum swung and then I got sick of my long hair is really what happened. I got sick of fucking, you know, I got a dry scalp. I got sick of fucking. Up, make- I got shitty fucking, you know, my hair texture is not the best. So anytime I walked in the wind, it would just, it would be horrible. So I said, you know what? Fuck it. I'm shaving. I shaved it right before tour, like a week before tour. I shaved it off. And, and to me, it was a huge moment. I didn't realize at the time it was a huge moment. I just did it as a, a, a spur of the moment thing, but it really did signify a shift. Because already with the acoustic album, you can see me coming back to the middle. You can see me evening out finally after like this four-year battle, five-year battle within myself. Finally, I'm like right here, you know? And I'm just, that's why I'm saying now this might even be more similar. Don't give me problems, give me wine and have touches of, you know, this album and and aren't aren't we ever going to be more than friends? Because now I'm just writing great songs, and I know one thing: I want them to be to have live instruments. Most mm-hmm. of them, you know, none of them. They're not going to be. I'm probably not going to do many rap songs, you know, traditionally with an 808 and shit anymore, because that's not really what I like to do live. Yeah. But that's not to say I'm never going to rap on a song. That's not to say that I'm never going to have a different flow on a song. And now I feel like I'm right in the middle to where I'm just writing great music. And I know one thing, I want it to have live instruments. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's, there's shit on this, the beautiful Blue Collar Boy album that I'm working on right now. And that album is much more modern rock. Okay. You know, there's hints in the 90s, there's hints at other, there's hints at, it's, it's honestly rock slash pop. I don't know how to, there's some shit that sounds like Nora Jones. There's some shit that sounds like Blur, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's, I didn't want to get pigeonholed in the 70s. And now the plan is to release this second album first and release this one that I've been holding on to next. Yep. And also because I want it to be budgeted right. So this is, this is what I was doing in 20, late 2021, early 2022 to, to kind of rebel against everything that was going on to me and be like, fuck this. I want to do, you know, rock and roll music. Yeah. Oh, the windows and the TV still the on the trouble. I was on that down on the mountain. 
So you get the idea. Yeah, dude, that was that was in you all along. The point of that was basically that I was already transitioning to whereas now I'm not like I'm not in a particular space or time or genre. I'm just writing great music and I know that I want it to have live drums and live instruments and all this shit, you know. But besides that, you know, I don't really have any any like drawbacks to what it can sound like. So and it's been a bit angsty. It's been a bit like a bit more harder rock and and crunchier guitars, which I like because I think that shit's really in right now anyways. Yeah. And I'm not really making it because of that, but you know, I, I, my dad's like one of my, my biggest supporters and I talk to him all the time and he's a big music guy and a, and a really intelligent guy. And I played him this shit and, and like, he loves that last album that I was playing you. He's like, yo, this is amazing. But I played him the new stuff and he was like, I honestly think this is better because wow. I can hear that you're not trying to do anything. I'm yeah. not trying to be back then. I was really trying hard to prove myself that like, I'm more than this pop kid. Yeah. But now I really don't care. Like I've reached the middle of the pendulum where I'm just like, I'm very content and happy with all the shit I've done in the past. And I'm very content and happy with the shit that I'm doing in the future. Yeah. And that's the best place to be because it's not, it's not about proving. It's not about like trying to prove to people that you can do this and that and that. Like really I fell in love with this shit because I love making music. And I told, you know, I had a, a meeting with a bigger label actually right before the new year and we were talking about stuff and i said listen if you're gonna if we're gonna do a deal if you're gonna take a chance at signing me and you want to do a big deal you got to understand one thing which is i want to release a lot of music my number one thing is to make music create music and release it i'm like i'm not this fucking guy that's going to give you 10 songs that we're going to drag it out through the whole year yeah like i'm going to drop two albums a year like every fucking year for the rest of my life maybe more you know because I get the most enjoyment out of waking up every day, coming to my studio where I am right now, recording, going to another studio, recording, writing songs, producing other artists, you know, and I, I just, I, I don't see myself being in a happy situation where I'm not able to do that. Yeah. So that's the biggest thing for me. And, and labels don't like that typically because they want to milk as much as they can out of the songs that you give. They, they want to, they want to give you an X amount of budget songs and try to you know make as much money off as off of it as they can so and that's not what they said that label was actually that i was talking to was very understanding and and actually hyped about it but uh in general i think that's just what i've figured out about myself is like look i'm trying to get better at the social media shit i'm trying to get better at the tiktok i'm trying to do more live performances and film on camera and shit like my post from i think yesterday or two days ago actually did really well of me just singing into a microphone and filming it on a nice camera uh and i think in general what i realize is i'm just i'm i'm such a music maker type that like that's why i'm in this and i realize that as much as i can own into that probably the more successful i will become (laughs) because it's just honest who i am you know well and i know you're prioritizing live music but you actually got to try it out with your first north american headline tour i actually was surprised to learn that this is your first headlining tour How, how was that experience for you it was amazing it was horrible at times and it was great at times you go to you go to Montreal and you have sixty two people in the room and all of them are Frenchies Quebecois fucks sitting in the back <laughs> of the room that don't wanna that don't you know don't aren't even smiling yeah and there's one drunk forty year old milf in the middle dancing and there's nobody there's nobody because we're playing you know Montreal on a Tuesday night yeah you know and and then you go to Toronto and there's 300 people in a room on a Wednesday. And then you go to Vancouver and there's a sold out crowd on a Friday. And you never, I never been to Vancouver. I thought it was fucking beautiful. I thought it was amazing. Then you go to Boise and there's 200 people packed in this fucking, I mean, it's a crazy experience because you figure out where it's worth it, where it's not, yeah. where you need to grow, where you're already good. And more than anything, like 
the number one way to market yourself in music, <clears throat> well, is TikTok. Number two, <laughs> number two, I still think this is number one, actually, is, is, is will always be in person. Yeah. If you can show somebody, because that's the shit, like even the TikTok shit, like I, I've got friends of mine that are blown up on TikTok, but they can't sell tickets. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Like, you know, I, th- I, I think the biggest form of marketing and the most effective form always will be when somebody sees you live, if you sound good. If you sound like shit, they're not going to come back. But if you sound good or even half good and you put on a show and you talk to your fans after and you take photos, you will grow your fan base. Like it was amazing to do two mini tours before this and do this full headline tour and see how many people were already wearing merchandise, were already coming back for a third. One girl came to like six shows on tour. It was insane. She was like, this is my sixth baby Jake show. I was like, holy shit. Like, <laughs> you know, and you never know what's going to happen. There's this guy, uh, his Instagram is Roy star. He's like a super fan of mine. He's such a sweet guy. And he came to, he came to, uh, Charlotte because he was visiting Charlotte, he came to the Charlotte show, which was an evening music. It was a sold out show, but it was like 125 people or 130 people. It's a very small, intimate venue. It was yeah. honestly so much fun. And He's like, you guys fucking killed it. He's like, look, I'm the head mixologist of this ski resort in Tamarack. And we're going to throw this festival there that's connected to Tree Fort. He's like, I'm going to connect you with somebody. That got me a booking for a festival no you know, on in March. So it's like, you never know what's going to happen. Like, literally, I've gotten booked for three festivals and one college show for the spring. That starts like end of February, beginning of March. I can't announce them yet. End of February, beginning of March. And those were all from people who saw me live. Yeah. My agent said every single one of these came from somebody who saw you in concert. So the number one way always to push your music and push your fan base and, 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 you know, even make a living off this shit is, is, is live, you know? And I broke even on the tour and that's because I brought a whole fucking band and because, you know, we did it really affordably. I mean, and that's even hard to do to begin with breaking even. So that's a, that's a success in its own right. At this level, totally. I mean, unless I'm going out there with just a vocal mic and backing tracks, but I wanted it to be a live band experience. I went out there with three piece band plus me. So, you know, no fucking tracks, no click, no nothing. What you hear is what you fucking hear. So if we fuck up, we fuck up. We sound good. Good. And we really started to sound great. You know, what I realized is that, I started listening back to recordings that we were doing every night of us. And I went, holy shit, like we're starting to sound better than a lot of people that I know, you know, there are bands of mine that I envy because we put this pressure on our backs, you yeah. know? And I think it's the number one way to, to grow as an artist that and being in the studio all the time, recording music because recording music and performing music are two separate crafts. They're totally different in what your objective is. So I think both of them are equally as important, but Right now, I honestly, whenever I'm on tour, I never want to go off. Whenever I'm recording in the studio, I never want to go on tour. So yeah. it's it's like, you know, there's never, uh, and then you start rehearsing for a week and then you get excited and then you love it and then you're out there and you never want to come back home. But like, you know, in this particular moment right now, I've been so in a recording phase that I can't even think about doing no live shows. You know what I mean? Well, I was actually going to ask because... Obviously, that tour specifically was, was pretty electric. Um, but you've since released "Rude, Crude, and Un- Uncouth," which is more kind of unplugged. Where does that fit into the live set, or is that its own tour? I mean, I don't know. I, we wanted to do an acoustic tour during Chris during like you know the win- uh, the holidays, but yeah. it just it ended up coming out a little bit later than we anticipated, and uh, we had this one thing that fell through that I was going to open up for somebody. It fell through last minute, so. Cause they pulled off as well. They didn't do a tour, but yeah, I, I mean, I'm open to whatever, man. Like I just like the ability to be like, you know, we went to Salt Lake city and it said on the, on the fucking, it said on the, uh, on the ad mat for the tour, the tour poster, it said acoustic, acoustic set. And it was on a rooftop in Salt Lake city at like six o'clock during sunset. And it was just me and Max, my guitar player. We played a two piece guitar, one acoustic, one electric and vocals. And it was so nonchalant and people weren't expecting it. It's almost like people missed the acoustic part. Yeah. There's probably a hundred people up on this tiny rooftop that probably fits 200 max. 
And it's and it was crazy because I said earlier in that day, I said, Oh, this is gonna be pretty chill. I don't know if we should bring the merch up. And they were like, you know, they were like, yeah, let's just bring one up. I was like, all right, fuck it. Let's bring one, let's bring one case of merch up, you know, just with one shirt. That was one of the smallest shows. It was one of the most because I went up there and I just said, you know what? Fuck it. I'm gonna be myself. I'm going to joke around. I'm going to talk to the crowd. I'm going to make this an interactive experience. I'm going to play everything fucking acoustically. And because I did that shit, people, I, I had the big, one of the biggest merch lines I've had in the entire tour. Yeah. One of the most sales were on that night because people said, this is like, this is so cool that you did this. This was a once in a like, you know, I know you, none of your other shows are like this. So this is so cool. Yeah. And people were like, man, it was so awesome to just see you up there with a guitar and a vocal, you know, and nothing else and see that you could still do it and fucking kill it, you know? And, and we did a shorter set and we played, we obviously omitted some of the songs that we couldn't do that were with a band and shit, but like, Man, it was it was sick. We did cigarettes raw. We did head in the clouds raw. Like these songs, where you're coming into it. And you, I was never good at time. And my head is in the cl- and it's just everybody's jumping and there's no drums. <laughs> there's no fucking drums. People are just jumping because I'm jumping, singing and acoustically. Yeah. Which was a magical moment because I realized like, oh wait a second, I really could go out and play 100, 150, maybe 250 cap venues with an acoustic guitar yeah. and sit down. And fucking play the acoustic guitar and sing. So I don't know. Um, right now, we are trying to get on a bigger artist's tour in spring to open up for them because I think that's the next step that would bring me to the next level in a live setting to where I could go back out next fall and maybe do, you know, 500 to 1,000 caps depending on the city, which would be a step up for me. Yeah. Um, so that's our goal right now. I don't know if I'm going to do any acoustic tours as of right now, uh, but I will tell you this, there'll, there'll be acoustic shows and they might be, it might end up being like, I play a full band show in New York and I play at Bowery Ballroom or House of, Music House of Williamsburg or something. And then I go and do a hundred cap or 75 cap after party. That's all acoustic. And that's like special. You buy a ticket. Mm-hmm. That'll be your thing. You get that show and you get to go to another show. And then afterwards, I'm hanging out with people and whatever and shaking hands and you get to meet me and everything. So I might do something like that. Or I might just, uh, if I can find an acoustic act, act to go out, I might just, you know, go and open up for somebody who does a more acoustic thing, you know? So yeah. I'm interested to see how it plays out because I, I think that album is so relevant right now um in the genre it's folk but it's not it's not the folk that's popping off right now which is basically florence and the machine 2.0 you know it's like legit um and yeah i I would definitely love the opportunity to see see those songs live i mean really it just the way that i look at it is this look fan bases and everybody looks at it like okay you have a fan base and the fan base wants to hear one thing and that is correct when it's your own headline show The fan base wants to hear the hits and they want to hear the B-sides and they want to hear everything. They're a fan of you. But if I go and open up for Tyler Childers, I'm not going to play any of my fucking... I'm going to play all the entire acoustic album. Yeah. Because I know 98% of these people don't know who I am. And if I want to win them over, it's going to be the acoustic shit. Yeah. Versus if I go and open up for uh, the White Stripes, I'm going to play all the rock shit. And I'm going to omit the acoustic shit. Maybe one of the acoustic songs or something in the middle of the set. But I'm going to play the rock shit because I know 98% of these people aren't going to know me. Yeah. And and if I'm playing, let's say, a 10,000 cap or a 5,000 cap, and if I want to convert 10% of these people, I know they listen to this type of music. This is what they like. I'm going to play that. So I think it's all about where you, what your surroundings are, where you are, what city you're in, how big of a fan base you're actually going to have at that venue. You know, I've seen opening acts that go and open up for somebody and it's a thousand cat venue and the opening act ends up selling 400 of the tickets. Then it's a little bit different. Then you got to play a little bit of both because you know, people want to hear the old shit that people love and they want to hear the new shit because you want to win new fans. So I think it just depends on, on where you are with things and, and whatnot. But I think, yeah, for me, what, what is definitely true is that if I can lock in an opening slot for a bigger band in spring or summer, and even if it's a two or three week run, a short run and open up for them, I think that would be great no matter what, because if you convert, if you're playing 
a 2,500 cap venue, right? Or an 1,800 cap venue or whatever, like a house of blues, you know, a bigger yeah. room and a house of blues, a mid-level room, maybe 3,000, maybe the Ryman or something. If you convert 10%, that's 250 people. It's a whole if show right pull, there. Yeah. If you can pull out of that 10%, make it a new 100%. If you can pull 75% of them, that's a whatever, 190, 200 people. And if they come to your show, that turns your tickets in New York or somewhere like that from 450 to 650. Yeah. So it's, it's, you know, I think that it's, that's the goal right now. And until then, I don't want to lose the money that you lose going on tour. I, I ended up breaking even with expenses and with the gear that I bought and some of the repairs and shit. I ended up losing a little bit of money on this last tour. Um, I, I just don't know if it makes sense for me to do another headline tour until next fall for yeah. myself. But we'll be doing one-offs. We'll be doing festivals. And hopefully we open up for somebody on a spring or summer tour to uh, to go ahead and, and get a little bit of touring in. But I think next fall is what we're really trying to nail. And this time we kind of threw it together. And like thank God Griffin, my agent, did a really good job routing it. Uh, but he didn't have that much time. He really threw it together in like you know four months prior. Now... He's finalizing the dates right now for next fall. Oh, sweet. So, so like, we're not going to play Toronto on a Wednesday. We're going to play Toronto on a Thursday or Friday. Yeah. We're not going to play New York, New York and Philly. And, and whether we got to skip a day or, like, take two off days, it makes more sense. Like, this last tour was so intense. We did 31 shows in 37 days. That's crazy. So, like, we're going, going, going. Four in a row, three in a row, four in a row, three in a row. I think this next tour will make the most sense is, like, all right, we're going to go on Thursday. We're going to play boss on Friday. We're going to play Philly or whatever, or New York on Saturday. We're going to play Philly on, on Sunday. We're going to take an off day on Monday. We're going to take an off day. Uh, on Tuesday, we'll go to a B list city on Wednesday. We'll go to a B list city on Thursday. We'll do it again. We'll hit Toronto and then we'll hit Detroit or Chicago, you know, cause I want to hit those big cities on the big days. So that's the plan this time around is to, is to make sure that our routing is, and again, he did a great job. It was a very good routing and, and we saved a lot of money because of how good the routing was. But I would like to, even if it burns me a little bit more money, do more weekends, Yeah, more, more weekends because dude, it's fucking hard. Like I said this almost, almost after every show or before every show or halfway during the show, whenever I said it, I just always said almost every show I was like, I just want to thank you guys because the average person goes to like 2.5 concerts a year or something like that. It's crazy low. Yeah. In the 70s, people went to like 100 concerts a year was the average or something like that. It was insane. It was like everybody went to see live music. Now you have this ability, you know, mm -hmm. and, and, and the truth of the matter is this. If you want to hear perfect music, you go on your phone. So if you if you're gonna do live music, you gotta put it on a fucking show. Even if it's imperfect, you gotta show people that you're a fucking showman and that your band is a showman and that you guys put on a fucking party because yeah. if it's nobody wants to see it. Yeah, and if like if someone's giving you their attention, you know, to yeah. show that you deserve it. Like even if you're gonna do the acoustic shit, you better fucking put your emotions to ten on that because you you you're not there to play a perfect song. You're there to interact with the audience and make them feel as close as possible to you yeah. or as wild as possible with you, whatever it is. So I think that's a, a really important factor in it. And, and yeah, I think next fall will be probably one of those once in a lifetime memories of a tour because we'll probably end up doing the same, if not maybe a little bit bigger rooms unless something unless something i'm planning this very conservatively unless you know i have a song and it goes to fucking a billion streams and then we're doing arenas <laughs> yeah, fingers yeah. crossed hopefully that happens but conservatively if we do the same rooms or maybe a little bit bigger rooms next tour i want to blow them all out yeah and if that's possible it's going to be one of those tours that you never forget because you go to every city and you're so close to where you can still interact with them because once you get to a thousand plus it becomes a little bit difficult to understand you're even playing to a and human then you have like vip situations and it's a it's yeah. a whole different ball game yeah so right now i'm i'm excited to be where i am in it and uh you know i'm focused on recording new music and putting out new music and not only putting it out but really marketing it these last two albums i haven't marketed 
I didn't really do, I did a little bit of paid advertising on Instagram and on TikTok, but I really didn't do much. And um, I think this next project I'm going to try to put a really good plan together for as far as videos, photos, marketing on TikTok, live performances, like everything, yeah. you know? From like what I've heard from chatting with you, I just sense like a lot more like maturity in the way that you handle the actual like business perspective of music. And then also from a listener's perspective, just the sounds that you're creating are are truly next level. So I'm I'm really excited to to see how the future unfolds. Um, but obviously before that, I wrap up every interview with this question. And it's actually unrelated to music and your career. What what are some goals that you have in the near future? Um Goals in the near future. I want to get a six pack. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I want to get a six pack. No, uh, yeah, that's. Well, that's I heard you were hitting the gym like every day. That's uh, I am. That's a good road I, to it. I am. I mean, I'm 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 going pretty hard and and working out a lot. Um, goals. Got to think about this really in depth. Goals. I have a back unit at my house. Uh, it's about a 22 by 12 foot structure with 15 foot high ceilings on one side and 10 foot high ceilings on the other. It's a slant like that half of an A-frame. Oh, sweet. Want, it's just wood right now. I want to build it out into a studio. That's one of my goals by the end of 2024. And I want to move all my equipment from in here to over there and really do it well, build double walls, make it completely soundproof. Because I'm right next to the airport and you can hear those fucking planes when they come over. <laughs> Uh, and it hasn't been that big an issue thus far, but I would really like a proper space that's at least separated from my house that I'm in. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'd like to read more books. I've been reading a lot. I'd like to maybe set myself a goal. I probably should set myself a goal, maybe a, a book a month at least, or two books a month or something yeah. like that. Um, I'd like to get more tattoos. I was also going to ask that. You have so many. Like, is there ever an end or is it just forever? You're oh, just my chest is open. My chest is open. And this side of my neck, I just got a recent one a little bit over here. But I really want to do my whole neck and my whole chest and my legs. And then I'll be done. <laughs> but yeah, I have a lot of space to cover. So I'd like to get more tattoos. I'd like to really just... At, at the end of the day, I'd like, I'd like to be healthy, happy, and motivated. Those are the three things that I really would like to be. But that's like to go without saying. Yeah. To get specifics, I'd like to... You know, even if it's... You said non-music related, but I'm going to bring music into it anyway. <laughs> Every artist always does. <laughs> yeah. I, I'd like to... Uh, I'd definitely like to put out... Well, I guess this is non-music related. I'd like to put out an album and have something go on TikTok. mm I want to focus on TikTok and social media a lot this year. Yeah. I've been slacking on that big time and I've always made excuses. And what, regardless of what the social media is, I just want to focus on being consistent. Yeah. I want to be consistent with social media and I'm trying to do that now. Um, and yeah, I want to find a wife. But that's <laughs> going to take some time, I think. I'm not looking. I'm just being patient. 